Welcome everyone to Let's Talk Low Vision with Dr. Bill. Tonight, um, our friend Robert is going to take the place of Dr. Bill and I am the trusty sidekick for the evening. Tonight we have a wonderful guest, Kim Charlson from the National Library Service and she's here to talk to us all about Braille audio and reading download, the BARD system. So I'm very, very excited. Welcome, Kim. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, would you just want to start off with telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Um, I So my first disclaimer is that I don't actually work for the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, but I work with them every day. Um, my job is that I am the regional librarian, as many people are used to hearing the title or the director of the regional library for Massachusetts that is affiliated with the National Library Service. So I'm the talking book library director for the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library in Watertown, Massachusetts. And we provide the services um, affiliated with the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled in Massachusetts. And then we also provide a lot of other services, um, Braille services in uh, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Washington, D.C., um, North Carolina, and Tennessee. And we have a wide range of services that we provide in Massachusetts as well, not just the, um, the traditional talking book services um, that I'm sure we'll talk about this evening. Um, our services go beyond that. I always define our library as an accessible public library for people who can't read regular print and try to really stretch the envelope as far as the types of services that we provide to our borrowers in Massachusetts. So that's what I do. And I have a degree in library science, which you have to have if you are a director of a library. So um, that's that's um, an unusual career path for somebody in the late 1980s, early 1990s, getting a college degree because it was just kind of the cusp of the computer age, so to speak, in libraries. Some of you may remember the computer card catalog and, you know, how librarians used to do all their work was on the little cards and, you, you know, very inaccessible. But thank goodness I went into the field at a time when um, the computer and terminals and accessing computer records was the way that the work was done so that I could actually do the work. So that made it a lot more accessible for me. So I could talk and talk and talk, but I'm going to let you guys ask me questions too. So, <laughs> so you became the director of the, the regional library when? It, um, I became the director in 2001, but I started working at Perkins in 1985. So believe it or not, I've been there 36 years, which astounds me. But I started my library career in 1979 working at the Oregon Talking Book and Braille Service um, in a non-professional position as um, a tape, um, a volunteer coordinator and tape technician and Braille transcriber. And I trained transcribers because 
1979, that's how you got Braille books made. And, um, and I trained people to record books in their houses. Remember the days of, uh, people recording books in their kitchen and you could hear the lawnmowers and the airplanes and the dogs barking on the recordings. <laughs> Those were the days that we don't want to go back to. Yes. It made it more personal, didn't it? <laughs> so that's how I started out working in the library. And as often happens with um, when you're working, you have bosses who are fabulous and you have bosses that are just make you scratch your head and you go, my God, I could run this place better than this person. <laughs> and that happened to me early on in my career. And and I said, but I'll never get a chance to run a library because I don't have a degree in library science. And originally, I had gone to college. I was going to be an attorney. And when I graduated from college, I said, you know, maybe what the world doesn't need is one more lawyer. And maybe I should do something else. And so, you know, I forgive, forgive any lawyers out there. <laughs> about the, um, so it's partly how I ended up getting so involved in advocacy because I can sort of channel, I can kind of channel the, um, the inner lawyer in me into my advocacy work. And, um, and then I can, uh, you know, I can be a librarian during the day and an advocate at night, so to speak, you know, <laughs> so I can get into the nitty gritty. So um, I, I um, just I started working my first job out of college at the Oregon State Library. And so that's how I kind of got the taste for thinking that I really wanted to see somebody who was blind running a Braille and Talking Book Library program because there there was really no one running a Braille and Talking Book Library. And I thought, well, there should be. Why isn't there someone? Um, and so I kind of took the tack that I was going to work in the field and that my career objective would be that someday I wanted to run a Braille and Talking Book Library because I wanted to provide services that I felt patrons would really like to have and not have people deciding, well, we don't do that or they don't need that. And know that these were the kinds of services that people need and want and and really you know have to have access to. So those are hopefully the kinds of things that I provide through the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library. Well I think we're very lucky to have somebody you're you're a lot of you um, provide a lot of firsts, haven't you? Well, um. I have. I have absolutely done a few of them. That is true. And I, I did another today. Actually, I can tell you all about. It. You're, you're probably the first group to hear about this. Actually, um, I, I assumed the leadership today um, of the World Blind Union North American Caribbean Region. I was president elect, and the leadership was transferred to me today. So I'm the first woman president of the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union. So oh, that, that happened yeah. today. Congratulations. Well, thank yeah. you very much. Amazing. It's going to be, and well, there's been a lot of talk over the last, you know, several years, of course, with the Marrakesh Treaty for the visually impaired. And I've, I've been doing a lot of work in that area. So that kind of, started my engagement on the international level with the Marrakesh and I'll be doing more of that. So 
it kind of was a really good fit between the library world and the international world for me. So, well, it sounds like you're the perfect person for the job. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, thank you. So, uh, explain to us a little bit about Bard. Um, what what formats are offered, and what? Well, let, let's start with what formatting you do for offer. So, so Bard, um, I guess for for those um, who don't know what Bard is, Bard is a, the Braille and Audio Reading Download, which is a pr- program of the National Library Service that offers downloadable audio and Braille titles um, for download by individuals who have. Um, access to a computer to download them or a third-party device or the BARD mobile app available on an Android or um, an iOS device um, like an iPad or an iPhone or a smartphone of some kind. And you can download books on to those devices or onto a thumb drive and use the NLS player or use a Victor stream. A lot of people use the Victor stream and download right from Bard their audio books. Um, Braille books um, can be downloaded from Bard um, onto a thumb drive. You need to use a Braille display. You can use a note taker device that allows you to download onto the note taker. Um, and just beginning this year on a state-by-state rollout, um, kind of a slow rollout. I think there's 8 to 12 states right now. Um, NLS is beginning to distribute an e-reader for Braille books that is part of the NLS equipment loan program, just like there is a talking book player that plays the cartridges for audiobooks. Um there is now going to be available a player that will allow um, Braille books on an e-reader device. It's a 20-cell Braille e-reader device, and it will be provided by the National Library Service to Braille reading borrowers in um, states that are receiving those books as part of the rollout. So I don't know the exact order of all of the states that are, um, you know, the order that is currently happening, but um, hopefully by the end of this year or early into next year, most states will have had the opportunity to have their first, um, kind of their first round of borrowers have the, the opportunity to get an e-reader device if they are Braille readers. And that's a huge step um, oh, yeah. Yeah. for having an, a, a refreshable Braille device available at no cost to individuals who use the library program. So, so that's that's been a real big priority for Karen Kenninger, who many of you may know is, is retiring um, this spring. Um, but it was a big goal of hers to, before she retired, to make sure that an e-reader would become available to borrowers of the program. So, 
That that is great. I, I know Karen. Um, she she's from Iowa, so oh, she is. Yes, right. um, and she's done a great job. Yeah. Now, I I get a lot of questions. Who is eligible for Bard, or, or mm-hmm. even even the the NLS? Yeah, library stuff. So, um, so eligibility for and I'm sorry about my. Phone. I don't know why uh, it's ringing so much. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> so the eligibility for the um, the NLS program would be anyone who is blind, who is visually impaired and has difficulty reading regular print because of that visual impairment. Um, anyone with a physical disability or reading disability, and the criteria has just changed um, within the last few months. So that it used to be that anyone who had a reading disability, they were required to get the signature of a doctor to sign them up. And that was an old standby requirement in the federal regulations that dated all the way back to the late 1960s when reading disability was added as an eligibility criteria for the program. And it really was outdated as far as you know, who knows about reading disabilities? Maybe in 1968, um, a doctor was the best option because not that many people understood dyslexia or other types of reading disabilities. But since then, there's a lot of different professionals out there, neuropsychologists, reading specialists, reading tutors. There's just so many education professionals understand what dyslexia and other types of reading disabilities are and it should be able to certify an individual who's eligible for the service. So so those guidelines have just changed and will broaden the eligibility for people with reading disabilities to use our service. So, of course, you don't have to be, quote, just a blind person. You can have low vision, have a visual impairment, have a condition perhaps that you know, you can see, but when you start to read, maybe you have focus issues or any kind of eye strain that may give you a headache or something like that causes you difficulty. So I often will tell people that, you know, save your, your reading vision for the things you have to do and use your auditory listening to do the things you enjoy doing and read and listen so that you can save your your seeing vision for what you have to do, like your mail and your business. Um, and don't struggle with absolutely everything you have to read um, so that it doesn't become such a chore. You know, relax and enjoy it. So um, I have people that often will tell me that they can't use talking books, and I'll ask them why. And they'll say, well, they put me to sleep. Uh, and I'll just kind of chuckle and say, well, you know, a lot of people pay good money to have something that'll do that for them. So you should be happy if they put you to sleep. That means, <laughs> that means you're relaxing and you're enjoying them. You know, you don't have to stop the service. Just, you know, use the sleep timer on the machine, set it for 15 minutes. And then the whole book doesn't play while you're sleeping through the night. You know, and they go, I didn't know there was a timer. So, <laughs> so, um, so it's kind of good, but, but back to BARD. So BARD allows you to download books and it's, um, it, you know, you have to sign up 
separately for BARD. It's, you know, you first just sign up for the service and you, you're eligible, you get signed up, and then BARD has kind of its own secondary sign-up process, which is not complicated. It's pretty easy. Um, and it's on the, um, the NLS website where you can sign up or your regional talking book library can sign you up as well. And, um, and you indicate, you know, if you have your own player or you need a player and those kind of things, or you have a device that you're going to be using and you get a username, which almost always is your email address. And then you establish a password and that's how you get into BARD. And it's, it's set up that this is the kind of the online system is set up um, with You'll see um, things like most popular books, um, recently added books, which is quite a popular feature because recently added books is exactly what it sounds like. Recently added books, those are the newest things that have been added to BARD. Um, so that's kind of like the bookshelf. It, you know, you think of the new bookshelf at the library where they put out everything that's brand new ready for circulation. It, it, it's it's just the hodgepodge of everything. It could be could be a how-to book, a cookbook. It's it's everything. You even get you even get um, you know foreign language titles. You know, those of you who are active browsers of Bard may be noticing um, that there's been quite a lot of foreign language titles showing up on the recently added books lately, and that's a direct result of the Marrakesh Treaty for the Visually Impaired that um, NLS has been acquiring more foreign language titles through the Marrakesh Treaty process to um, add them to their collection to beef up the weak foreign language collection to make them a little stronger for borrowers who need to use those languages. So, so you, can, you can search BARD by you know, subject, by author, by title, um, I would honestly say, and I don't think anybody at NLS would kick me for saying this, the search engine is not the most robust search engine. It's kind of, kind of uh, antiquated, but there are plans, hopefully in the not too, too distant future to, to upgrade BARD. And there have been um, steps in that direction over the course of the last um, nine months to the past year. Um, to move BARD from the Library of Congress server because BARD is the, the heaviest user of bandwidth in the entire Library of Congress. Um, so the other departments of the Library of Congress are always complaining that BARD takes up too much bandwidth. So they were very happy to see that BARD wanted to move off of the Library of Congress server and have its own space in the cloud. And they couldn't have BARD move out fast enough because they wanted to get their bandwidth back because we're all out there downloading, you know, thousands of books a minute, it would appear, and using up all their bandwidth. So um, so they're happy now that BARD is on its own server in its own space and doesn't have to compete with the, the other activities of the Library of Congress. So that's a good thing. And that's kind of the first phase of more modernization of BARD to make it faster and hopefully, you know, more modernization of BARD as we move ahead. So I'm a, you, you mentioned active browser. How, 
um, how do you define active? Um, how, how often do they have to go on and actually do a search, do a, do a um, browse of the system? There, there actually is um, kind of a usage requirement, but I think you have to download something within a six-month period or your account will go inactive. Now, that doesn't mean that it, you know, it's, it's shut down forever and you can never get it back. But if it goes inactive, what happens is you might go on it nine months down the road and you can't get in that will mean that you need to contact your regional talking book library and tell them, you know, I can't get into my BARD account and told me to contact you um, because what they have to do is reactivate your account. And that's exactly what they do. It's a relatively simple process that they do to reactivate it and start it back up. So that's a BARD administration step that, that we do. And it's um, relatively easy and we can get your account activated again. And if you move from one state to another, your BARD account can transfer with you, just like your service can transfer from library to library. Um, so that makes it easy. You don't have to reestablish it or apply again. Um, and, you know, the, the nice thing about BARD is, you know, you, if you, if you want to talk to your librarians, you can, but if you don't want to, you don't need to because it really is something you can do independently. You can, search BARD, you can look up authors and titles, um, you can find books yourself. Um, if you don't find something that you really, really want, I always encourage people to contact their library and just double check, ask, because sometimes things are not, you know, exactly the way you might think they should be, and we might be able to find them as a librarian. Um, there could be a slight spelling difference, who knows, Sometimes we can find things, so, or we can tell you that um, NLS doesn't have that book, but another service does. Um, I've always believed that there's more to library service than just NLS. So, you know, if something's available at Bookshare, I want you to know that it's available at Bookshare. I'm not just going to tell you that it's not available. So I think that's important for people to know that they're, something they're looking for is available from another source so they can make that decision if they want to go to the next level and get it from that other source. So so one of the services that um, the Perkins Library has and, and many other um, state talking book libraries are doing this is they are sponsoring Bookshare memberships for um, their patrons. I know Washington, New York, Georgia, um, quite a few states do it. Um, not all of them, but a lot of states are sponsoring um, Bookshare memberships. So that means that you basically you get a free membership because it's sponsored by your talking book library. So, so that's a nice thing. Yeah, okay, that is. Yeah, we've had a lot of people ask about that also. Um, so you got all these books. I, I have a very special book I like, and I like the reader that I used to be able to get a hold of. Are they still available, or are they all new readers? And um, you know how people are when they they, they got their favorite yeah. people they like to hear. And and but you had a book once upon a time that you read on cassette, or way or, back when, or record. Yep. 
Yeah, well, I can't always swear to the record part, but I can pretty much say if it was on cassette, most likely it was it was digitized and is now available on Bard as in, and you can download it. Records, not always so much, but we still have a lot of those files and we still have the ability to convert some of those records. It is a, a more t time consuming process because now they have to be converted from record to audio to digital. <laughs> so it's a two-step process, um, but it can be done. Um, but we still have the records in what um, NLS calls the multi-state centers, which are kind of backup libraries for NLS. If um, if my library doesn't have something and I really need it, then I would go to the multi-state center in Cincinnati and see if they had something that I needed. So they provide a backup support for us. That's good. Thank yeah. you. That, yeah. Um, how do they go about choosing all the books that they provide? Uh, well, that's a very good process. Um, NLS has... Um, they have a staff um, in, in the collection development department of librarians who have subject matter expertise, and their job is to review um, library publications and keep kind of keep an eye on um, what books are coming out um, and being published, and to kind of make those decisions. There's there's kind of some basic ones about, you know, best-selling authors. Um, you're always going to see a lot of James Patterson and David Baldacci and, you know, um, Stuart Woods and some of the, you know, just expected best-selling authors that people always seem to really like to read. But um, for the subject matter, there, you know, there's a children's specialist, there's nonfiction specialists, there's... They, they have a sports person and, you know, one person has more than one area of expertise. I think there's like four or five collection librarians and, and that's what they do. They, they review the tools, they make selections. They also write the annotations for the new books when they come in that then get assigned to the recording studios to be produced. So the, the other thing that happens in the collection development process, for, for those of you who download a lot of books from BARD, you will notice that a lot of the books that are on BARD come from um, commercial recording studios, Audible or Blackstone or Hachette or other publishers. Um, NLS has some... Uh, contract agreements with those audiobook publishers that um, are very generous and allows NLS to acquire those audio files from those publishers and then to reformat them into the NLS talking book format. That way it it's, um, allows us to get those recordings that have already been done so they don't have to duplicate efforts and to get them out and available to you, the end user, faster, which is a, a really important thing. So I think though the one that came out pretty quick most recently was um, the Barack Obama book that that was out on BARD about three days after it came out in print. 
And it's a good sized book. It's about 800 pages you know, read by the author. So the file was done and it was out in bookstores and available. And so it was available in a high priority placed on BARD as soon as possible. So, um, so there's a lot of attention paid to some of the books that, that NLS knows are going to be really high demand titles. So they try to get those and get them out and produced as quickly as they can because they know that we want to read those just as much as everybody else wants to read them right away. So there's also a lot of books, as you've probably noticed, that are being produced by the recording studios in um, many of our network libraries around the country. So um, the Perkins Library has a recording studio, and, and most of the major um Talking book libraries around the country also have recording studios and they are adding content to BARD um, that they've recorded digitally as well. And most of what we do in our local recording studios are more local material, um, local authors, maybe sports books. Um, we tend to do a lot of books about the Red Sox in, in Massachusetts and baseball books and sports books and histories and th things like that about, you know, New England and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of that with, e with each of the, the network library studio programs, because again, that's something that the people in the given state are interested in. They want to read about their state, their town, um, their sports teams. So um, those things are available. And then there's also a lot of magazines that are being done. Um, my library does Yankee Magazine, and that's available for the whole country as well. They, they can, can subscribe to it um, through the NLS Magazine program through BARD as well, and you can download your magazines. So there's about 100 audio magazines on BARD um, available through NLS, and also a lot of the uh, network library-produced magazines are also available on BARD. So there's a lot of material to choose from. Um, I think the last time I checked, there was almost 200,000 titles on BARD. So that's quite a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you then you couple that with, if you have availability and access to Bookshare, there's over 900,000 titles on Bookshare. So it, it's a different experience. You know, I will, I will say, you know, human narration is different from text to speech. And what you have available to access in text-to-speech varies by what what reader you're using and what text-to-speech program you might have access to. It could be a fairly pleasant experience or it can be a very um, tedious experience depending on what text-to-speech you are able to get access to. So, Oh my gosh, well thank you for sharing all this information with us. It's been absolutely wow. amazing. Oh my gosh, I feel like I can't take notes fast enough on all this wonderful information. Oh, there's there's a lot going on and it's it is exciting and I can I can tell you a little bit about kind of the future. Just give you a little sneak peek about the kind of the research and development that's happening about what's the next generation talking book machine gonna look like. Um 
And I have a feeling you're interested, so I'll go ahead and tell you a little bit about it. I am. So there's a a pilot, a a test pilot going on with about, uh, I think it's about eight states around the United States right now. I'm not sure all of all of them. I think Missouri, South Carolina, um, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts um, are a few, but that's not all of them. And we're doing a test pilot on um, using an Android, um, a couple different Android phone models that have been locked down with programming inside of them to um, to use basically speech command for accessing um, BARD service. Um, or the talking book service period. Um, it, it, it is barred, but it wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say barred, but it's like t- you touch the, the cell phone and you would say, um, play my, play my book. And it'll say, which book do you want to listen to? And it would, it might recite, you know, book one and say the name of it. And you'd say book two and you want to read that title or, You'd say um, a list books by John Grisham. Now that's going to be a long list, but so it might say for five. Here are five books by John Grisham. One one is this, two is that, and then it'll say which one do you want? And you'd say three, and then it will say um, you know the the title of the book three and begin to play it. So the, the reason that, that NLS is testing this is, first of all, is it a viable option or not? Can we use off-the-shelf software? Can we use speech to engage this? Can people learn a fixed vocabulary to communicate with a device and talk to it and not get frustrated and say, I told you to play this, but it doesn't work because they didn't say it right. And they throw their phone across the room, you know, because they got mad at it. Um, you know, is, is it going to work? Is it going to be feasible for somebody who's 88 years old to, to do this or not to do this? So, so we have each of our states has 22 people who are testing this technology um, for three months and they'll be taking surveys as they go through the process answering a lot of questions from NLS about their experiences and you know did they find the books they wanted could they play the books they wanted Um, all those different kinds of things to see if this works or not and whether it's a viable option for the future of our program or not. So, so it's pretty exciting. Um, it's a little scary at the same time because I can, it, using text to speech, it, it does kind of, you know, frighten me a little bit, not because I'm afraid of the technology. I'm just concerned that I'm not sure everybody is going to be able to do it. So I deliberately have some people in my test group who, um, come from other countries. So they have accents because I want to know if the speech is going to be able to accommodate their speech pattern. Um, I also have one person who has, who's 
classified as deafblind, but can hear um, and has a little bit of vision and has um, a speech impairment as well because they're deafblind. So I want to know, is the phone going to be able to understand the way he speaks or not? So I'm, I'm definitely putting the phone through its paces to make sure that it's not just average people who are really good with technology who think this is wonderful. I'm trying to get all sorts of people to evaluate it who have different kinds of circumstances to make sure is this the right way for us to go for the future of the program or not. So, so this would be the book. Is it actually a red book or is it the, the phone the voice on the phone reading it? The voice on the phone is reading it. There's no hard media that you would handle. It would be uh, basically it would be streamed into your phone. So you wouldn't have any mail service delivering your books. It would be kind of streamed into your phone. And right now, only about half of the book gets streamed into the phone, not the entire book, because the memory, the you know, the storage space in the phone isn't large enough for what a lot of us would like to store in our phone, which is dozens and dozens of books. So um, they'll have to do some work on that too, but it's much more of an on-demand the the system the phone the device remembers where you left off and when you ask to start reading again it starts streaming again from that book so it's a very different approach to delivering talking books you have to have wi-fi and right there is another issue about our service right now you know, nobody is required to have Wi-Fi because if you didn't have Wi-Fi, then you could get talking book cartridges in the mail and play them on your players. But, um, you know, the future could require that you have to have some kind of cellular service or Wi-Fi service in order to be able to access it. And that's so, a whole different approach, definitely. Yeah, so you won't have a reader reading the book Oh yeah, no, it's still oh, okay. a, a, it's still a human voice. Oh, okay, that that's it's that was a, it's still a human voice. It's not text to speech. It's okay. a recording, but it's being streamed to you from the server. Good. Yeah. Rather All than right. you know, rather than uh, you know, downloading it. Good. It doesn't stay on the device. Right. Okay. So that's well, a very different approach. Yeah, a lot of great things coming out of NLS with the Braille displays and, and now the a lot of research, a lot oh, of testing. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things going on. So. Yeah, Jesse, any other questions? What else can I tell you about Bard? I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a great yeah, service. I encourage people to try it if they haven't. Um, there's also music materials on Bard. Um, instructional music materials um, for learning how to play different instruments. There's a wonderful series available um, that has um, a lot of music that you can listen to. Now, traditionally, we say the NLS collection doesn't have, you know, music that you listen to, but these are like historical article um They're like radio shows. I can't remember. They're, they're, they were done, I think, by... I don't think it was the Library of Congress, but it was some kind of a 
historical, um, like folk music organization. And there's just, there's hundreds of them in the collection and they are really interesting. So if you're a fan of bluegrass or folk music or that kind of thing, there's a whole collection of those. And I'll give my contact information, my email. And if somebody really is intrigued about them, I'll dig more into what the, what the name is and what they're called, but they're very, very interesting and very well produced. So, um, so there's some really creative things in the collection that you can access besides the traditional book and magazine. Well, I'm interested in that. (laughs) (laughs) Check that out. (laughs) I'll have to find out and send you the names of them. There's hundreds of them. They're really good. They're almost like radio shows on their own. You definitely did a really great job at covering every question I had and then some. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Um, I see we do have one question from Katie Friedman about how we can contact you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm I'm easy to contact. Um, My email address is kim.charlson, that's C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N, at perkins.org. So that's my email, and my phone is 617-972-7240. Let me repeat that since my computer decided to jabber. It's 617-972-7240. That's the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library. Okay. Yeah. Um, you think that we're ready to open it up to some questions, Robert? Sure. Yeah, I've got um, Wes. Go ahead with your question. Yes, on the the Braille displays you're talking about. I just mm-hmm. Though not a Braille reader, you know, I may add from a technical standpoint, these Braille readers, are these strictly work with the NLS books or can these also be like connect to your computer, your uh, tablet, you know, and use as a general, you know, Braille output? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, They do have some capabilities. They're not a full-fledged note taker. Um, like a Polaris or a Braille Note or something like that, or Braille Touch. They're not a full-fledged note-taker, but they do have a little bit of simple note-taking capacity. Um, and I do believe that you can, that, you know, they can connect and you can download to them and you can put files on them from other sources and read those files. All right. Tom Lalos. Hi, Kim. Tom Hi, Tom. Lewis from Wyoming. How you doing? I know. How are you? I'm good, Kim. I'm good. How's your library? Uh, we're kind of shaky with NLS right now. I I'm, know that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we're, we'll we'll stay on it. So good. Um, That's what it takes. I, local advocacy. <laughs> I really enjoyed your presentation. Uh, you answered one of my questions about how long it takes for a book to get narrated, and that's I've always been concerned about that. But kind of futuristically speaking, um, as all of us that, that, that uh, listen to books on Bard, sometimes the chosen narrator can really ruin your listening slash reading experience. And, and in many cases, you just... You just punch the button and I'm done with this book. Yeah. And 
Do you foresee the day when a a uh, uh, consumer can choose the narrator of any given book? I I doubt that because it's a matter of resources, and you know if 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 there is a narrator who is so distressing that he causes you just not to want to read something. Um, you should probably let NLS know and, and let them know why. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they would want to know more than just, I don't like them. <laughs> That's I probably understand. not good enough. They'll, they'll just say, oh boy, there's somebody who, who's yeah. complaining. But if you have some reasons, there may be something that they need to look into and maybe that the person needs more training or needs some follow-up in some way. But um, generally, you know, most of the narrators in the program are fabulous. Occasionally, I agree with you, there is one that's like, ugh, I just don't know how they made it into the program. But um, for the most part, thank goodness, they're good and they're very good. So, um, but it's, it's kind of a slippery slope because if we ever get to the place that you're kind of asking about, that place will, would probably be using artificial intelligence and text to speech voices. And they wouldn't be human narrated. And when you don't have human narrated, you know, recordings, you lose a lot of the emotion and the interpretation of things. Um, I, I would, no. I would agree with that. I yeah. would, I wouldn't like us to get into synthetic speech at all. No, I don't. I, okay. All right. I don't, I don't think so. You know, maybe for some things, good text to speech might be able to be okay. Maybe like magazine articles or something, but you know, for, for novels and, you know, stories that have a, have a real, you know, action packed storyline, yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine at this point anyway, that yeah. text-to-speech would do it for us. Okay. All right. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Kim. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to Bye. hear your voice. Okay. Take care. Tom Frank. Okay, there I go. Hi, Kim. Tom Hi. Frank from Vermont. I miss Hi playing there. the ukulele with Brian. I know. I remember. Illinois, but <laughs> maybe one of these years. Uh, I, uh, he a couple would of love things. You talk about that now they can download, what, five to eight books on one cartridge to send out to people. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot better there. And what's your take, the new machines that will label you to download uh, directly to the machine without an iPhone or an iPad? That's the next question. And the third one is, do you do anything with large Print books. I don't think NLS does, but does your library and how many libraries do large print? We do in Vermont. I just wondered. Yep. Other folks. Well, I'm going to start with your last question and go the other way and see if I can remember them. Right. But um, large print books are uh, certainly a local state library option. Um, And I, th- I think you said Vermont does, um, Massachusetts does. We have okay, you do pretty significant large print collection, and uh, we also do audio described DVDs. So we okay. loan audio described movies out to our borrowers as well. 
Um, and, a, and quite a few states do that too. But again, it's a it's an additional you know it's an additional service that they support um, through their budgets. It's not through NLS. Okay. Um, so the the um, as far as downloading, you know, if you're not having a smartphone or like the next generation kind of machine, having something in it so you could download right onto the cartridge, I don't know where that's going to go. We NLS did a pilot a few years ago, uh, kind of testing that out, you know, being able to download right onto the cartridges and then delete the book and get more books. And it, it, it was, it, 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 I will say it wasn't real effective. Um, and right now, I think the biggest hurdle there is really trying to figure out how to get nationwide coverage for some kind of cell service so that you've got, you know, basically what we need is, is a device where we could download anywhere, anytime, like, like somebody who owns a Kindle can just open their Kindle no matter where they are in the middle of a parking lot or wherever that Amazon has because Amazon is everywhere and they can download a book and they don't have to worry about being connected to anything and they can get they can get a book you know it's just it just happens it's it's Amazon magic and we kind of need that equivalent of Amazon magic to happen for our next generation players so that you know, people who live in the woods in Vermont can get their digital downloads just as easy as people who live in New York City. So it's that's what we have to tackle is that hurdle of of the broadband coverage and digital access. Right. And what was your third first question? <laughs> uh I forget. <laughs> I don't. Maybe I answered it in the in the, no, the large, the large short, sure, but yeah. But it's good to talk to you too. I'll talk. It was just the number of books. Just reminding people, you can get like five or eight with the with the digital on demand or whatever it is. Well, that the toaster, you can put a whole bunch like, of books exactly. on one. You can have multiple titles on a cartridge. M many libraries are starting to do that, and the the other thing that I'll tell you about the Perkins Library that's kind of unique and maybe you all don't know, but uh, about four years ago, there was a, a real shortage of the cartridges, four or five years ago. Um, and none of the libraries could buy them, consumers couldn't buy them, um, and the company that everybody bought them from wasn't going to manufacture any of them until NLS did another order. And they weren't going to do another order for nine months. And that really annoyed me, to say the least. I was like, why are you holding us all hostage? Because NLS won't do an order because they don't need to. Um, they have thousands, but they're not going to give them to us because it's government property. And so, you know, I was talking to my couple of my staff and I said, this, this really bothers me. And they said, well, why don't we make our own cartridges? And I said, what? <laughs> You know, I bought two. And they said, <laughs> why don't we make our own cartridges? I'm sure we could do it. So we started to research and, and we took about um, 10 months. We we actually do manufacture a cartridge. It's Our cartridges are blue. The other companies are green. Um, and we sell them through um, through our library. And we have an Amazon, a little Amazon store. You can go to perkinslibrary.org slash 
NLS, and it will take you to our little Amazon store. We have an, a 4 gig, an 8 gig, and a 16 gig. No one else has an 8 or a 16 gig. Um, the standard for libraries is the 4 gig size, and that holds, like Frank was saying, about about 6, 8, maybe 10 books, depending on the size of your books. But when you get to the 8 and the 16 gig, you can put a lot of books on an 8 and 16 gig cartridge. So you can buy those yourself. You can load up your cartridges and have lots of your own stuff stored on your own cartridges. And I always thought that patrons should have the ability to own their own cartridges, have their own collections, organize their books the way they want to, and just keep their stuff if that's what they want to do and have it organized the way they want. So, so that's why Perkins Library sells blue cartridges because, because Kim got annoyed one day that she couldn't go out and buy more cartridges. So we decided Fantastic. to make them ourselves and sell them to people. So that's how that all turned out. I will so, promote that now. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. So you can you can find those on our on the Perkins Library website. So, all right, Dale. Yes, how's my audio? That's all good. Right, you sound good. Okay, I I just had the remark that you, know, you were talking about the music collection and uh -huh. it's under Smithsonian Folkways, yeah, and there you. are there are thank three uh, tapestries of the time Folkways. And I think it's music to grow by or something like that. They're yeah. they're delightful. They're they they're are. just a wonderful addition to the collection. Yeah, so you That's will all. remember remember that. They are very good. They are very <laughs> good. All right. Well thank you, Dale. Uh Donna Williams. You have to unmute. Okay. It said it was unmuted. Sorry about Hi. that. Hi. Um I have I have two comments and two quick questions. My two comments are, I'm glad that you're going to do something or they're going to do something with the Wi-Fi access because if you're in a position where, you know, like you have people in nursing homes or you have people in assisted living and they may not have access to Wi-Fi, so there's going to have to be something with that That's for right. those people with the yeah. next generation player. Um my second comment is, I hope that when they are um, doing the text to speak or the, you know, where you speak to say, you know, get this book or I want John Grisham books or whatever, I hope that there will be an option where they can also touch something or because there are people that have, I have a friend who had strokes and he has an awful time getting those type of technology things to answer him. They don't, they don't, they, they think he's saying something totally different yeah, than what he did, yeah. you know, so they have to say that. Now the exactly. questions are, how would I, as a low vision person, I do read Braille and I'm very interested in getting, being one of the first people, because I missed my Braille, uh, to have a Braille reader when it becomes available, what would you suggest that I do to, you know, get that process started or let who would I, who would I communicate with? And my second question mm -hmm. um, is, how does one become 
a tester? Like, is there some criteria or who would I communicate with about that? So, um, I think that the, the way to get on any list that might be kept by your regional talking book library for the, um, the Braille e-readers, you should just call the library and ask to be placed on any wait list that they're, they're maintaining, um, for the, um, the NLS Braille e-reader. And that's what they're calling it is the Braille e-reader. Okay. Um, and you can get your name put on that wait list. Um, depending on where you live, you know, your state may be one of the ones coming up soon. So, you know, I should definitely call and just make sure your name's on the list. And that's the best way to do it. Great. So, and, and while you're talking to them, just indicate that if they, if they have any opportunities, NLS um, asks different states to participate in some of their research testing. So they, um, it's up to the network library to identify people who they feel might be interested and willing to, to participate in testing, to answer the surveys and, you know, do the requirements involved to be a tester, which is usually, you know, put the device through its paces and really, you know, use it and answer the survey questions and, and those sorts of things. So if you're interested and willing to do that, you should just let your cooperating network library know that if there's any opportunities to test any, you know, future equipment considerations that NLS might be looking at, you'd be willing to do that. And because um, that, that's where the decisions are made is at the local level. Well, I know what I'll be doing tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good luck. <laughs> Do we have any other questions? Oh, Joshua, go ahead. Oh, hello, hello, uh, hello, Kim. Can you hear me? Okay, I can. Oh, uh, yes. Th thanks for a great, uh, thanks for a great presentation. I got a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, quick questions and a comment or two. I got to say that uh, first of all, awesome presentation. It, it was very informative, and uh, definitely some interesting um, things coming coming in the future. I mean, for me personally, if we had a if we had a, um, uh, a talking book player that would stream, I probably would, would just use my iPhone because right now my Wi-Fi isn't good enough to really stream. And I got to say, thanks to the uh, NLS Bard being on the cloud, if I use my data, Bard books freaking like fly to my phone, like practically they instantly. Now, practically. They? They're, they're much, they're much, much, much faster. But yeah, I mean, um, for, for me, like I've got like, Close to 1,500 books on my iPhone and close to 20,000 books downloaded wow. on my on my external hard drive from from, from Bard. But um, I hope in the future there's some, there's some way that you could like you could like uh, save your Bard books from your phone because uh, some way because I'm thinking if anything if, if if anything if anything happens to my iPhone 8 badly enough to where it can't function then, then I would lose then I would lose all those mm -hmm. books that it took me like the like 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 the past two years to download mm -hmm. to my phone and I know I've got access to my previous downloads right. on the Bard website but but on the other hand I do not want to have to go and try to you know and it basically try to you know recreate that yeah. um 
you know, try to uh, recreate the books that I lost. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, yeah, but um, I, I definitely like, I, 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 I love Bard Express. I love Bard Mobile. I mean, uh, if you've got, if you've got Bard in Bookshare, you're pretty much covered. I mean, 99 or like 95% of what you, what you'd want would be on, on one of those two, on one of those two uh, services. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. That's great. Good. All right. Thank you, Joshua. Okay, I have uh, one last. Jonathan? Hello. Hello, Hi. Jonathan from New York, Long Island. I would, I would like to know, will the Braille talking book be like the normal talking book to read the Braille books? Well, so the, you're talking about the, the Braille e-reader Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so the Braille e-reader looks like a braille note taker it has one line of um cells it has 20 cells um and you get the braille on one line so it's not like it's not like a book you know it's it's okay it's it's an electronic it looks like a note taker device so you have the the electronic braille files inside the the device and then you select a file, and then you read the one line of refreshable Braille on the device. I see. Uh-huh. And when would New York have the testing? I, I don't know when New York is on the, the schedule, but okay. you, you might just call the library and ask to be placed, if you're a Braille reader, ask yes, to I'm be placed reader. on the list. and. And then they it's certainly, you know, it should be either later this year or early next year at the latest, I think. Okay. But if you and get on the, the list now, you have a good chance of being one of the first. What's it called again? It's called the um, Braille e-reader. Braille e-reader. Thank you. Braille e-reader. Uh-huh. All right. Well, Jesse, that, that's all the hands I have up. Um Kim, you've done a wonderful job and, and very informative. Um, Jesse, you have anything? Yeah, well, I just, I just wanted to thank you so much, Kim. Like everything that you said, I literally could not take notes fast enough. I just think I'm getting so excited. All I want to do is log on to Bard right now. And, uh. <laughs> and so I just, well, I really thank you. And, and your knowledge and thank you for being here with us tonight. And thank you everyone, um, all of our listeners, everyone who's joined the call tonight. I really, really appreciate you all. Thank you for the invitation and thank, thank you. you to all of you for being so hospitable and I enjoyed it. Thanks so well, much. I, I know I sure missed Dr. Bill being here, but <laughs> I, I was glad to have you, Robert. You were very kind and gentle. It was nice. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Everyone have a great evening um, and a great week and join us next month again for Let's Talk Low Vision with Dr. Bill. Thank you, Kim. Good night. Thank you. Bye-bye.